Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Cindy Ketzel. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts to bring you the best in HR, talent management, and business strategy. Today, I'm super excited to reintroduce Edie Goldberg that I met with last week, as well as Sri Chalapa. We're going to talk today about radical candor, but let me tell you a little bit about each of them. If you did hear last week's show, Edie is the founder and president of EL Goldberg and Associates and uh, loved having her time and her knowledge with us last week as we talked with her and Erin from Engagedly. We also have Shri on today, and Shri is the CEO at Engagedly. But I also wanted to share about uh, this wonderful company that uh, Engagedly was just recently touted as one of the fastest growing private companies in the U.S. with 577% growth over the past three years. And that was actually enough to earn them a spot in the Inc. 5000, which makes them one of just five St. Louis area companies to make the top 1000. Super happy to have you all with us today. Welcome back, Edie, and hello, Shree. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Cindy. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. I was sharing with the two of you earlier. I had such a pleasure to uh, attend a workshop years ago on this very special topic of radical candor and you know the idea of being direct and sincere and straightforward with our employees, our colleagues. So I'm excited to dive right in and learn a little bit more from your experiences. Are you guys ready to keep moving forward? We sure are. All right. So I think it would probably help all of our listeners <laughs> just to very first up front, ask the question, very basic question of what is radical candor and why is it so important? Well, Cindy, as you mentioned, you know, radical candor is a term that was coined by a woman named Kim Scott, who was a former Google employee, and it was really based on her experiences at Google. And I teach workshops around radical candor because I do a lot of work around helping companies with performance management and feedback is such an important part of performance management. So radical candor is really saying what you mean and not dancing around the feedback that you want to give somebody. It's both the ability to challenge somebody directly, but also to show that you care personally at the same time. Now that second part is really, really critical because you can say a lot of things if you're coming from a place of respect and positive intentions. So I always, I try and share a real life example of what does that look like? And I have a story, it's a little self-revealing, if you will, but uh, about a decade or so ago, I was working with a senior executive on a really important project for the company. And I was asked to come in and present our results um, and suggestions for improvement to the steering committee, which included the senior most executives in the company. And after the presentation, my client kind of pulled me aside and he started by thanking me for providing a a powerful presentation that he thought really moved the needle for the company. Great. But then he had some other feedback for me. 
And he asked if I knew that I said, um, a lot. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast can relate to that comment. I was going to brush it off because he told me I did a good job on the presentation, right? Um, so I thought it really didn't matter. And I told him that I knew that I did it and I've tried to overcome it in the past and I haven't had a lot of luck because probably I wasn't paying that close of attention. And although I didn't think it was from fear, like talking to this group of senior executives, I kind of use it to fill the air while I'm thinking, while I'm talking. And I know that a lot of you guys listening know that, uh, as I'm doing it right now. So he was very direct with me. He told me to stop doing it. And in his words, because it makes me sound dumb and unsure of myself. So I was kind of taken aback when he said that. But you know what? I knew that he cared about me deeply. And he was telling me this feedback, this honest feedback, because he really wanted me to succeed. That was a perfect example of radical candor. He told me something really honest. It was hard for me to hear. I pushed back. He pushed back and was really specific and honest. But because I knew he was coming from a good place, it worked. Shri, why don't you share some of your thoughts around radical candor and why it's important? Yeah, so obviously the way I look at radical candor as a entrepreneur and as a person running the company is that you're doing a disservice to the organization if you don't practice radical candor to some extent because you're just basically shoveling the dirt under the rug without addressing it. And as partners, you know, my partners and me practice radical candor often and sometimes it turns into a shouting match, <laughs> not, not, not desirable. Uh, but you know, it's helpful because you get it all in the open at the end of the day, you know, we all care for each other and we care for the organization and some things like that also happen sometimes with, you know, my teams, what I like to focus on in the radical candor, and that's something very hard to do is to make sure we separate the subject and the object, right? The feedback is really on the object, not the subject, the subject, the individual in this case is to focus on the object without personalizing it. For that individual so that's the hard part and that requires obviously a little bit of practice and deliberate thought on how you put your words together because words matter even if you're conveying the message how you convey it is very important so that's what i try to focus on when i'm trying to convey that sometimes i sit and brood for days before i actually go ahead and say it in you know 30 seconds Edie, thank you for sharing the personal story there. I, As you said, our listeners can relate. I can surely relate. I've picked up from doing these podcasts a few words that I probably say a little bit too much myself. That's my own feedback. <laughs> but So I can certainly relate to that and, and that person being so honest. But you knew that even though, you know, perhaps the feedback wasn't delivered in the best of ways, you knew the person cared about you. And so therefore, it became a somewhat of a truth for you. And Shri, I appreciated the fact that you said, we need to focus on separating that subject and the object. And I think that's probably for executives and, and our colleagues and, and even friends and professional relationships, personal relationships to really uh, master that. I think that's a, a tough skill to master. So it sounds like radical candor can really help us with the intention of our words and, and how we're using them. 
So I mentioned, you know, yes, that is something radical candor can help us with, but what are some other alternatives to radical candor? And if practiced incorrectly, may uh, negatively impact relationships and performance? Well, I think there are kind of a couple simple ways of, you know, kind of if you're not practicing radical candor, what can happen? First off, you can give people false praise. You know, so they think they're doing great, but those are the people who, you know, get fired and they have no idea why they ever got fired because people only said nice things to them. You can say nothing, which doesn't help people learn and grow. And we all want to learn and grow. And that's really important to us. Um, but I think that the kind of alternative to radical candor is some sort of brute honesty where it's just harsh. There's some research that managers feel like giving critical feedback is kind of their job and they have to be critical as opposed to being supportive and providing recognition to people. But when we're really critical all the time and that's all that we do, we demotivate our employees. So if we're thinking about managing the performance in an organization, this should all be about how do we lift people up and help people perform better? And if we just focus on the negative, and as Shri said, you know, making it personal is the worst thing that you can do, then, you know, we pull the organization down, we deflate people as opposed to lifting people up. Yeah, one thing I would add, there managers typically I've seen fall in two camps. One, they're, like Edie said, they're extremely harsh. And they're always criticizing because they're only looking at the glass half empty. The other camp is where the managers are constantly just praising them or, or not saying anything because they're afraid of confrontation. They're afraid of the pushback they might get or demotivating their employee for some reason. And I think that's equally worse as well, because as Edie, you mentioned, you know, um, if somebody's not doing well, you don't tell them. And then when you take an action against them, it comes as a total surprise. In many cases, the managers themselves actually are even afraid to even take that action. They let the HR do it or somebody else do it. But that's the worst kind, in my opinion, right? So I think they fall in two camps, but the second camp is even worse because that does a disservice to the rest of the organization because they, other people can see what this person is doing right or not doing right. Uh, organization also suffers. Um, so there's a general disenchantment within the organization about you know their work really doesn't matter because the other person who's not pulling their weight or doing not, not doing the right things is not being held accountable. Yeah, I what I hear from both of you, and I think this is a really special thought for our listeners, is what crosses my mind when we talk about not performing or doing, I don't know if it's performing or doing radical candor, but being radically candor. Um, is that when we tear people down and it impacts engagement and engagement impacts our productivity, right? So there's this continuation of let's figure out how to, as you all talked about in the previous question, how do we use our words intentionally? How do we not make it personable? And how, you know, the, the great example, oh my gosh, I, I can think of so many times in just over my career, and I'm sure the listeners can think the same, where colleagues have been removed from an organization and they're like, I'm just not really sure what I've done. <laughs> like, I don't, I, they did get that conversation from HR, right? So 
I appreciate this. And I, I think our leaders are really going to be able to take something away as we think about how can we do this in the right way? Because the antithesis of that is really tearing people down and wearing that engagement down. Now, I know this because I've done a little bit of homework on this topic. There is a quadrant approach for radical candor, which I do believe makes it somewhat simple for us to understand, but I'm sure that our listeners are not as aware. So would you all be able to explain that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, when we think about radical candor, uh, the concept really thinks about feedback along two different dimensions. And I mentioned them in the beginning, right? It's about challenging people directly and caring about people personally. So as every good consultant, you know, we put that in a two by two matrix and you get a quadrant. Uh, so you can either challenge directly or indirectly and you can either care or you cannot care, right? So they talk about this as the four different quadrants of radical candor. Obnoxious aggression is about criticizing somebody without caring about them. It's dismissive feedback, right? You know, it's not helpful. It's often given with an air of superiority. Sometimes that criticism is given in public, which is terrible. That's super obnoxious. I have an example uh, was given not in public. It was in private, but it was pretty obnoxious. Earlier in my career, I was on a sales call with a, a manager. So I was a consultant and we went out on a client meeting together. And the meeting went fine, but it was quite apparent this was the first time I'd really been with a client with my new manager. And she had a very different consulting style than I did. She was very aggressive from a sales perspective. Whereas I, you know, I tend to engage with customers around my expertise and my passion for the things that I do. And I'm not an aggressive salesperson in the least. And so on the way back, uh, driving back to our office, she criticized me and she challenged me directly to be more assertive. In fact, she told me to be more assertive or get the blank off of her team. And then she made it really personal. She said, I was going to fail as a consultant if I, you know, wasn't being super aggressive. By the way, that was like 20 years ago, so or 30 years ago. So I don't think she was correct. Her behavior at the time was really reflective of this obnoxious aggression. She demonstrated no caring for me in the moment, right? It was her way or the highway. But notice, I didn't say she was obnoxious and aggressive. I said her behavior. So that's kind of goes back to what Shri was talking about earlier, which is making it about the behavior and not the person. I didn't label her this way. It was an experience. We overcame it, in fact. Um, and I had other interactions with her that weren't that way. But that is kind of one example that I think a lot of people can relate to. Manipulative insincerity happens when you don't challenge directly, but you do care deeply, right? So have you ever had somebody like be really nice to you and pay you a compliment because they wanted something from you, right? We all know people like that. You know, you know if they say sucking up to you because they want something from you. And sadly, 
that happens so much. So that is kind of classic manipulative insincerity. The third quadrant is called ruinous empathy. It's when we really do care personally, but we don't challenge at all. So tell me, you guys listening to this podcast, if this sounds familiar to you. You're asked to provide input to appear on their performance review. And while they consistently behave in some way that's really detrimental to their team, let's say they always ask other people for help, but they never offer help in return. You guys know those people. You're reluctant to challenge them directly because you don't want to be mean And you don't want to negatively impact anything that has to do with their performance review because that would impact their compensation. So what do you do? You sugarcoat it, right? You make a veil attempt at at saying something, but you're so nice. The message never actually gets through to them. That behavior, this ruinous empathy helps no one. Most of all, it doesn't help the employee. And so then, of course, the fourth quadrant is that radical candor where you are absolutely kind of giving people honest, direct feedback, but coming from a place of caring. Shri, how do you practice radical candor at Engagedly? So, you know, the important thing, as I mentioned earlier, is focusing on the object versus the subject. And to focus on the object, you got to look at evidence and data. Right, evidence is either actual behavior that had an adverse impact, or the data shows that that person hasn't, you know, fulfilled their obligations or their promises they made or whatever that may be in terms of their goals and objectives. So obviously, you know, things like OKRs that we use in our platform and Engagely help really separate that subject versus object because it's very clear whether you met your goals or not. And then we can go into detail on why you didn't meet the goals and what can be done to do better, right? And at that point is where you can give a feedback and if that person takes the feedback, that's great. And sometimes the feedback is not always 100% right because, you know, we all have our own biases. So that's basically how we go about doing it. And, and But it's a discussion, you know, at that point. You can at least have a discussion from a point of reference versus a point of opinions. And that's where I believe a lot of organizations and teams mess up a bit because they don't really focus on the actual evidence and data, they look at my opinion is that you're not doing well. And then the person says, no, that's not true because I did all these things. And then the person argues and then it basically, you, you know, you continue to agree to disagree and you, you really don't reach any resolution and you path forward. Edie, if you don't mind, and Shri, I'm just going to go back through these quadrants in case I, like I said, I jot down my notes on my end. I'm sure listeners out there are doing the same. So we've got four quadrants, obnoxious aggression, We've got manipulative, insincerity, ruinous empathy, and then finally the radical candor. And so those are our quadrants, everyone out there, if you didn't jot those down. Um, But Shri, I really appreciate the connection you just made. It was a light bulb moment for me too, because one of the classes that I teach is analytics. And we do talk about take that opinion, take that gut Take all of that out of your insight and deliver on the data, deliver on the evidence. And that is what you are saying is that what Engagedly, the platform can also help us do in addition to just delivering on radical candor, but we can also use that as our evidence 
as our data to be able to give that feedback, right? So it's not just my opinion. It's not just what I think or feel. It's truly, you know, when we think about it from a perspective of goals. So thanks for making that connection for us. So let me ask this, and I know, Sheree, you kind of already talked about how, what you're doing at Engagedly. So I'm going to either ask if Edie, if you want to expound on this, or maybe even there's more that Sheree would like to offer. I think this might get at some of the tactical, which is always great for our listeners, but how would you actually practice radical candor? What would that look like? Well, they talk about the HIP approach to implementing radical candor. It's kind of a a simple acronym for people to think about how you implement it, right? So HIP stands for uh, being humble and helpful, providing feedback immediately and in person today. That would be probably via video, right? Because we're not in person. Um, And do it in private. And we've talked a lot about don't, personalize it, right? Make it about the behavior, not about the person. So criticize kindly, but don't sugarcoat it. That moves us from ruinous empathy to radical candor. Be explicit about providing feedback and be explicit that you're providing that feedback with good intentions, right? That you're like, share why you're providing that feedback. Maybe relate a personal story show that you care in some way. Being humble, uh, you know, you have to expect that maybe your criticism will come under fire and be open to getting new information that maybe you misinterpreted something. Criticize or provide that critical feedback immediately, but keep it quick and light, but be really specific and kind of more in the moment. And don't deflect the emotion that happens. Some people get really emotional when they get critical feedback, but reacting to that and letting somebody feel, that's being honest about how that situation is going. And kind of showing empathy at that point shows that you care and that you want to provide this information to help somebody work through uh, whatever issue that they are experiencing Of course, criticize in private, but praise in public. Um, And we've talked so much about not making it personal. Shree, you know, you are an incredibly well-rounded leader. And I can imagine that giving or getting feedback, uh, giving feedback to one of your employees would be really hard for them. You're the CEO. That's always intimidating to people, although you're a really easygoing guy. Um, How do you think about making feedback hip at Engagedly? Yeah, I think the main thing is I always look at data and other types of evidence of success that we're expecting, you know, from the team or from the individual. And at Engagely, we have weekly, you know, reviews of different data points on the health of the business and different areas, for example, of the business. And that's basically the point of reference for a lot of discussions, either during that discussion or after that meeting we have. It depends on, you know, the type of feedback I'm going to actually give. So that's one thing that I'll say is important that you have something as a point of reference. I, you know, obviously, I keep repeating the same thing. Uh, around the point of reference because that grounds you because that data doesn't lie unless data itself is incorrect. 
But the main thing that I try to focus on is after giving that feedback based on the evidence or data and looking at the history is to actually just listen the other person out and don't try to be defensive about yourself. So one of the things I try to do always is not try to interrupt that other person. They might get really offended by the feedback or they might get defensive and that's okay because, you know, people have a automatic reaction to critical feedback and we just need to accept that as humans. But being able to hear them out, listen to them, you know, without judging them, right? And let them get it out of the system, right? And then have that discussion after that. I think that's the way I've always approached it. And then try to solve the problem together, you know? It's not something necessarily that that person can solve or I can solve, and but two minds or three minds better than one is the approach to take over there. Um, The one thing I was going to also add to that is when you give somebody radical candor based feedback, you also, and this is something that I always think about that maybe I am wrong. What if I'm wrong? How do I know I'm right? Right. And that discussion helps you clarify that. I'm not going to be right about that feedback 100% of the time. There's no way I'm not, you know, a perfect human being and nobody is, but at least having that discussion lets you know that maybe I was wrong about that feedback. There was more to the story than what I knew when I gave the feedback and that helps clarify. And then you can be humble about it and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I didn't realize all the other variables that were involved uh, that impacted your behavior or that um, actions that you took. So that's, I think, the harder part because typically the, the default by most managers and leaders is to anchor their feedback and then not move from there because they don't want to come across as somebody weak. But I think that's actually doing yourself and your feedback a disservice because then the next time you actually give valuable feedback, it's not going to be taken seriously. Yeah, and I just have to, I, I want to repeat this, you all. Uh, both of you commented, Shri and Edie, and I think this is so important for listeners to hear again, is let people have that reaction or that emotion. Now, Shri, you also said, you know, after that feedback, listen, you know, listen, let that person talk, let them go through it. Because I think for all of us, right, it's a muscle that we have to practice when we get feedback, and maybe it's not so favorable. And so how do we internalize that? You also said, try not to interrupt. But then like I said, finally, and Edie had echoed that in her conversation too, is really just let those people have that reaction or have that emotion. And wow, Shri, you know, a CEO of a company to say, and be humble, be humble. I mean, that's, I, I love that. And I think especially with the pandemic and everything that's been going on as of late, I do see, you know, people are being more compassionate and more empathic. And I think humble just kind of fits right in there with it saying, hey, maybe I'm not completely right. Maybe, maybe I need to hear what really might be going on. Maybe I don't have all of the data that I need. Which brings me to my last question, because as I'm saying, we want people to have the reaction and the emotion, but we want them to have that reaction and the emotion if we're actually utilizing radical candor correctly. So my last question would be, and I know you've probably peppered it in throughout, but what are some tips for our listeners to not personalize when we think about radical candor? You know, we've talked a lot about focusing on the behavior and not on the person. But one approach that I often use with that is talking about the impact on other people. What was the impact of that behavior 
on other people. So it doesn't come off that I'm criticizing that person, but asking them to kind of be reflective of how what they just did impacted the teammates. So, you know, today with remote work, there's a lot of sensitivity about how people show up at work, right? Are you available, right? Or do you seem to be missing an action somewhere? You know, so there's this concept that, you know, oh, I can't find them. They must be goofing off. You know, they're sitting and washing soap operas and eating bonbons. I have no idea what people think you're doing if they can't find you. Uh, You know, but there's a case you don't label somebody as being lazy in that situation. You talk about, so I've observed using data, you know, people have reached out to you at various points in time and you haven't been available. And what's the impact of that behavior on other team members? A really super classic one that I see a lot is when somebody in a meeting, uh, we're brainstorming and somebody says, that's stupid. That's not radically candid, right? That's obnoxious aggression. And when you talk to somebody about their behavior, Getting them to think about, you know, not only how could that conversation have gone differently, but what was the impact on everybody else in the room after you said that? And understanding that, you know, it's not about you as a person. It's about how the things that you say or the behaviors you engage in impact other people. I'm not criticizing you. I'm getting you to look at the larger impact on the team. And that's one way that I like to kind of not personalize it and make it more about team dynamics. Shri, what are some of your thoughts? Well, I think the moment you start using the word, or if you hear yourself using the word, hey, you did this, you're off the wrong, you're on the wrong track right away. You know, and as you said, I observed this happen is the better way to approach it. So the moment you start using a lot of the use instead of I observed it or we are observing this, this is what happened. That's the better way to start the conversation. And then the other thing I will also add is humor really helps deflate some of that strong reaction that might come through. You know, an example of that I use quite a bit, um, maybe I use it too much, is you know, when because I'm working with other leaders who have teams under them and we have teams under them sometimes. And an example here is, you know, the person is really trying to give challenging work to an individual who's clearly not capable of executing that. And then the projects fail and everybody knew the project was high risk of failure because that person was not capable, but this person really wanted to give this person a chance, but the project was critical. So you couldn't really do that. So the, the way I like to give them is, listen, you know, this project was given to this individual who clearly was not capable of doing this. You should really try to put them in places where they can be successful. And the humor I tend to use over there is like, we are trying to make a donkey run the derby and, and you can flog the hell out of the donkey, but it's not gonna win the derby. You know, and that's basically an example of how, you know, I like to work with using some analogies and humorous ways of addressing it. And that gets the message across. Wonderful. And I, Edie and Sri, I appreciate the, I've observed what a great way to start that conversation so that you aren't personalizing it. And as I was stating earlier, and I, I know we all know this, it's such Edie, it's keeping ourselves from saying, um, right? Is that same idea of I've observed, I've observed instead of 
putting it on you personally. And it's, you know, really retraining how we have those conversations about feedback. But I appreciate too, that it came back to, you know, here's what I'm hearing. Here's the data that I'm hearing from others, but here's the impact that that particular behavior is having on the team. What a great way to keep a little bit of a barrier between I'm attacking you <laughs> versus, hey, let's figure out how we can work through this or maybe what's really going on. As Shri, as you said earlier, maybe I don't have all of the facts to understand what's happening, but really just to keeping it away from making it a personal conversation. So a great, great tip there. Well, hey, we are coming to a close here and I wanted to throw it out there. If either of you, Shri or Edie, anything else you wanted to share, maybe something that came up as we were going through conversation before we close out today? Um, I'll say one thing though. It is a muscle. The radical candor itself is like a muscle that you have to exercise over time as an organization and as an individual. It doesn't come naturally. As much as somebody doesn't like to look, get criticism, People also don't like to give criticism because they don't want to be disliked. Um, so it's a muscle you have to practice. It's not easy, but it gets better over time because the other person, the individuals around you start to realize that this is coming from a place of caring. As Edie mentioned earlier, it comes from a place for collective success and not from a point of putting somebody down. And I think the only thing I'd close on is feedback is so important to helping us be more successful at work, to helping us to learn and grow. And managers so often do not have the skills. Learning about radical candor is one way to think about how you position your feedback and why giving open and honest feedback is so important and how to do it well. But most importantly, is to provide regular ongoing feedback and coaching to your employees because that makes the difference in a company that achieves its goals versus a company that does not. Yeah, perfect way to say that. So for our listeners out there, a great opportunity. You've heard from Shri and Edie about radical candor. There's a ton out there on it as well. And, and Edie had mentioned Kim Scott, lots of uh, resources out there on it as well. But the bottom line, and both Sri and Edie, you are both saying is, you know, feedback is important and practicing radical candor takes time and humor. I, I love that Sri had brought that up as well. So thank you. Thanks the two of you, Edie. It was so good to see you again this week. Um, we're so happy to have you with us and we hope to see you sometime again soon. And thanks to the Nine to Thrive listeners. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating. Your rating helps with other professionals and talent-minded people discover our program. For Nine to Thrive HR and all of us here at HCI, we appreciate you for tuning in. Make it a great day.